0: Welcome to today's episode of Direct Mail Automation School, a podcast for marketers who are looking for an edge as they deploy direct mail and omni channel marketing campaigns. I'm Dennis Kelly, CEO of Postalytics, the leading direct mail automation platform designed for marketers to deploy automated direct mail and omni channel marketing campaigns with the speed, integration, and analytics of digital marketing. Today, We have my friend and uh, great guest, Steve Falk, joining us. Uh, Steve is the VP of Partnerships and Sustainability at the AIM Group in Aurora, Ontario, Canada. Steve brings expertise in physical and digital technologies. Uh, He and the team at AIM have integrated triggered variable data printing and direct mail into their clients' tech stacks, Uh, which drives improved sales, customer engagement, and charitable donations. Steve's a well-known expert in omni-channel marketing that includes personalized direct mail across both Canada and the U.S. He's also developed a significant body of work to help understand the carbon footprint of direct mail and has developed programs that aim that utilize advanced carbon offset techniques. Welcome, Steve. We're psyched to have you join us at the Direct Mail Automation School today. It's nice to be uh, back at school. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for the invitation, Dennis. Oh, uh, well, it's great. So, uh, just as a little bit of background, uh, mm-hmm. Steve, uh, has, uh, developed a, a, a long career, uh, in, uh, in Direct Mail and, and in omni-channel marketing. Um, and, uh, we've worked together now for several years and, and we're partners up in Canada. And so, uh, Postalytics and Steve and his team have a, have a great relationship that, uh, is growing like wildfire. Uh, so, so Steve, mm-hmm. let's take a step back before we get into the meat of the conversation. And, you know, I think the audience loves to hear how. Uh, marketers have gotten to the place where they have and and they uh, to, to understand your background and and really how that it's shaped you and and you know where you stand today and so give us a, a take on you know the steve fox story and and how you got to where you are settle in settle in you know but
1: no, i i mean if you if you try to summarize it for this audience um You know, I was very lucky. Uh, My dad was on the ground floor of Scholastic Books when they came to Canada. And, you know, a lot of people are familiar with those books coming to their school. And from a very early age, not only did I have a great source of books, but I got working in the warehouse and, and systems at Scholastic Books, you know, summer jobs and stuff. And I saw direct communication, marketing communications working like they were just masters at it. You know, they talked directly to teachers. They knew their class size, the grade they taught, the language they taught. Um, then they they would market monthly to them with mail. The teachers would send back orders. I mean, this is very early, you know, pre-e-commerce kind of world of transacting directly and very personalized communications. And we just, you know, I, from a very, I probably put my first label on something when I was 14, you know, and, and understood how you could do it with a, like the computers in those days were enormous, but you know, we stored 50,000 teachers and students names and stuff in these computers. And, and, and it was not uncommon to print tons of labels and do stuff. I just, from an early age, I understood that you printing and mailing and communicating in this channel worked really, really well. And when there was long recurring revenue, you know, with a relationship with a teacher and students, it worked wonderfully and made a great business. And so I just absorbed that went to school, came out of school, and uh, stumbled into communications mostly through uh, academic journals and magazines and things like that, which also database-driven. That got me into nonprofit fundraising, which data-driven personal communications. Uh, that, you know, it's in Canada, probably in the states. Similarly, it probably accounts for twenty-five to thirty percent of all personalized mail is is nonprofit-related. You know, besides you know retail using mail. And, and uh, say, healthcare using mail, the nonprofit sector trying to raise money for an, all these nonprofit organizations. That's a big piece of mail. It really works well. So I got into that. It's a that. huge, huge piece of the business. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're doing, you know, to do it well, you're doing um, highly personalized segmented mailings uh, where you want to talk to a group based upon the, the, the kind of relationship they have. Let's say they 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 really like horses versus dogs, and they support a local humane society. You know, if you have the ability to talk directly to that, then you know you just do better with the relationship. There's an understanding that you that the organization gets who you are, and, you know, at a hospital, did you, did you contribute to the cancer or to the children's wing? And without so we you know we adopted over the years. You just got adopted the best ways to do that, which took me into you know. A, faster and better kinds of digital printing and faster and better kinds of uh two-way communications with data so i mean that's the that's the short trip the two-minute bullet is like from scholastic books to highly personalized like can we do sixty thousand personalized letters in an hour with full color back and forth with a data stream that came in in the morning and mail them you know the next morning yeah you can do that now it's just um, on it's a beautiful thing
0: and, and along the way you started prime, right? Yeah. So along the way, um,
1: you know, you, 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 I just had, um, you know, my wife would say, uh, you know, a, a really an illness to try and run businesses <laughs> instead of just go work for somebody <laughs> else. So I couldn't kick that, that disease and I kept starting various businesses and uh, along the way, Um, there was a, there was a client who had a little business with two or three employees in it called prime data. And all they did was data processing for direct mail companies. And, uh, so I decided that would be a good seed for something. Um, ideally they were located just a couple blocks away from where I lived and they had a good core group of of folks working there. And, um, so we grew that to, you know, 40, 50 people over a period of 10 years, uh, because we took that core group of data competency and uh, we said, hey, start with the data as a foundation. And then we, we bought great technology for printing and mailing and the expertise to become good at that. And then also um, really trying to stay a- ahead of the curve of uh, like better data exchanges and exchange of print files, et cetera, so that you could be faster. I mean, I, I think we cut. We took days and sometimes weeks out of the process of creating direct mail. So, you know, I think, you know, I remember early meetings and the early days of, of, of me assuming that the future was going to be able to, going to be turning around mail quickly and and people shaking their head around me on my team going, this can't happen. It can't happen. And when you get the systems going well and you audit and, you know, it's overly used the word automation now, but like, you know, I I was surprised to find in the last year that like, even Microsoft has automation tools inside Microsoft 365. Now, if you go in there and search, you can automate, you know, check this message, move it to this Excel file, copy this, see if it's got any of this, and then email somebody if it does. That's an automation tool built right into 365 now, not a script. But So automating things, making it faster and easier to do things. Um, that made us a market leader, somebody you wanted to have a conversation with. Um, which you know eventually led to my curiosity, as you mentioned, about the greenhouse gas emissions of creating mail. Um, and then, you know, last year uh, in July, uh, we became part of this uh, group of companies that are going to be, you know, just just becoming better and more effective at that by scaling up those basic principles. You know, part of the, the acquisition uh, by Vegvisir and. Uh, was teaming up with AIM, who literally was across the street from us, oddly enough. But the uh, that's,
0: that's the sort of the last chapter of this story is the AIM group. And you've never had to uh, move out of your neighborhood. It's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, it's kind of shocking. Yeah, you know, yeah. some would say you, you maybe could have got out in the world a little bit more. I mean, I I, <laughs> um, I, 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 I went to university in in a different province, and I and uh, and I I traveled quite a bit when I was a kid and learned you know did an exchange in Costa Rica to refine my Spanish and I but then I, all the the interesting work opportunities all happened within five kilometers of my house you know <laughs> for those in the states that's like three miles and like I I all, you know I now have to go through one stoplight to get here <laughs> and it's it's slowing down my commute.
0: That's a that's a that's a tough commute, uh definitely. Uh yeah. no need to work from from home for you. Uh so yeah. you know it's interesting and and I think unusual uh for somebody that you know ultimately is in the, the printing and mailing business to really have started from a, a data expertise uh core and and moved into the printing and mailing. A lot of times when I talk to print partners, it's kind of the other way. You know, a lot of equipment and then they say, Hey, we need to get some data folks here. Uh, and so you yeah. guys took a really different path, I think, than a lot of the traditional print and mail companies. Um, and you know, that, that whole notion of applying automation, uh, to the data is, is really something that we at Postalytics have embraced very heavily. Obviously, it's, it's, it's kind of the core of what we do. And I think that's probably why. Our visions align so well uh, uh, about how, uh, you know, communications and and omnichannel campaigns are evolving over time. Uh, yeah, it was know, natural that we found each other. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, as, as as so much data is now being captured and stored in, in CRM and marketing automation tools and, and the segmentation and, and everything being used to drive digital campaigns it, is being applied there. It's just natural to attach direct mail to those uh, data sets and workflows, uh, so that it can flourish alongside all the digital channels that are out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's the only way it can continue to survive. If it's that, like the the i, it's it's got to be be able to react quickly it's got to be easier to do than it's been in the past and uh, and connecting through uh, those resources have been kind of built by by digital marketers you know to to reflect that hey we want to be able to send out an email more quickly or an sms message quickly in re- response to something that's happening in this customer or donor or patient's life and and, and and then it's a matter of if you have your choice of channels And I mentioned like SMS and email well direct mail is a is a channel that has very similar kind of features you know an, a send to address a personalized message that I can send a timeliness that I can send it out it's just that they arrive in different mailboxes and have a different amount of impact depending timing wise and everything else so I, I don't think that direct mail survives without it like it, there will be times when you can do um n- n- mail that isn't attached like that but the real power i i i mean a, a, a simple way to explain it is i think when it's attached like that it just it might even have like 10x power to the other kinds of mail because it it, uh, it, it you know and, and it's some you know uh I, I can prove it through some of the work we've done. C- clients are often reluctant to share exact data, but what, what you're doing is you're capturing a moment in time. It's like a, a regular direct mail piece. It might be, hey, we, every quarter we do a catalog. It's not really capturing a moment of time. It's just capturing a season, right? right. And, and although that's got a healthy, you know, you, you've probably got the right seasons close in there and nothing about the particular recipient's f- frame of mind or position or or, or, you know, how the organization relates to that person. And they're saying, thanks for being a brand new buyer of LL Bean. That feels good. You know, you got an immediate, and, and, you know, we know that you love hiking. So here's a deal on hiking shoes and poles. Yeah. I mean that all that kind of stuff just becomes so personal and immediate. And that's, that's why I say it has 10 X because, you know, the the other method that we've been using maybe to make direct mail as powerful it was for decades was, more like, hey, let's try and make sure we cover a lot of ground and kind of s- spray a bunch of messages to a bunch of people and, and know that a certain percentage of them connect. The newer method is like, this is going to connect with something in a meaningful way at this time because we know something about them. And,
0: and, and that's why the power of it. Exactly. Exactly. And, and when merged and combined with other channels, it's it's even that much more impactful.
1: Um, That that is a given. Like you you know, not a standalone. It always has to have those other channels circulating around it. But but it has. If you have the ability to talk directly into their home, put the message in their hands, on top of those other channels, now you've really really accomplished something that will will show in your revenue
0: and your impact. Whatever the communication is that you're trying to do. That's right. That's right. There's a compounding effect, the one plus one equals three type of concept when, when you're able to bring all of that to the equation. Um, just let's talk a little bit more about AIM and, you know, you're in this new platform. It's, it's been a year. Uh, things are settling in. Uh, you know, tell us how, you know, the investment and the, and, and, and the shift in, in, in your platform has, uh, helped evolve the services that you're able to provide and, and uh, the types of clients that you are working with.
1: Yeah. The, the, um, the, the group at Vizier, uh have, uh, you know, experience in understanding the value of mail such that they, they're, Building some best practices, some of the best organizations in North America together to be able to to, to respond to all the things we've just talked about, like very personalized, fast. Um, let's let's call it secure. Uh, let's call it um, personalized. Uh, let's call it like dealing with variations in mail, so that you could like easily deal with say multi-location mailings for a chain that had you know locations across the country, but you had to personalize them up and do it on on scale and at speed that it, it what this often means is it, it's pretty capital intensive and and so uh smaller organizations you know have a hard time getting to the next level but but with the right support uh that vision that many of us share like uh you know how do I how do I produce it just faster and better and higher quality and and securely those all require investments and uh so so just having a, a a person with also with laser clear vision on where they're going uh, that helps a lot too, right So you have have, have a, a partner who shares your vision for for where mail fits into the community. We're basically part of the marketing and communications ecosystem right but they share, hey, you know I understand how mail fits and we want to help uh, invest in that area to make it successful and capture that. Uh, success for our clients, right? So I, I think that's been the key. When you start to see that uh, that other people share your vision, like you and I, Dennis, we do. Uh, but then, but, but um, then when you see somebody who's like, yeah, and we're going to put some uh, money behind this to make to, to make this, uh, you know, m- more possible uh, in the on all the check boxes you want to do, uh, that's where it's important, right?
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and you know. As as you're talking about mail as as this sort of plug-in into uh, the the tech stack, you know it, it's it's really I think important that uh, those of us who are involved in direct mail tech, uh, omnichannel marketing are, are out there kind of telling the story, right? That that mail is very much a a channel that can work. Directly in your marketing tech stack, it doesn't have to be this sort of specialty thing off the side that is done by uh, groups of people that have this secret sauce that you know only the direct mail people or direct marketers can effectively uh, execute on. That that you know software enables you to do things uh, at scale uh, without you know massive investments in people and you know 50 years of expertise and all the things that uh, are often associated with uh, with direct mail in a traditional way
1: yeah like we we you know we, we had this conversation yesterday and we were talking about a Canadian bank and and uh, you know they have a very specific direct mail department and i i would guess that typical of any organization has a direct mail department. They're seasoned professionals who've been around for a while, have a print background, and and have a very different outlook on how technology plays a role. And it's hard to break into that group. It's uh, so when you say, "Hey, are, are we speaking on behalf of this as a technology thing?" When we really should be in uh, having conversation, bringing that direct mail group over and having conversations with a technology marketing, like who's the MarTech people who are, who's sending out SMS messages when XYZ happens and who's sending the emails and what are permissions and what are the security issues and what kind of, how do I get into that ecosystem so that they work together? Um, a siloed direct mail organi- organization, the few that even have that still, right? Like who are like, I still invest because catalog departments and stuff have been closing, but they are tough. They're a tough sell, down. So you know I mean, you have you have to get in there and try and explain why this is different. Um, their their idea of what the value is. You know, they're thinking, oh, I'm going to get a half percent response rate, and the value is X. And I've explained where I, why I strongly believe some of these triggered pieces are 10x that. And and so your budget numbers kind of go upside down because they're like, I don't want to spend a X number of dollars on this and only get a return of Y. And it's like, no, no, this this is a different kind of return when you're doing triggered. We it's still you can you can call it direct mail if you like because that's the right term for something that's personalized and going in your house, but it doesn't perform in the same way with the same ROI and response numbers uh, as the old. And it's also working in concert with a number of other things that didn't happen three, five, ten years ago. Uh, it's a different world. It's hard to explain, as you said, Dennis. It's it's the reason we're in school. Direct mail automation right. school today is to try and like basically share some of this information that it's it's a more powerful different medium when it's working in concert with other digital and it's
0: bolted into the tech stack. That's right couldn't set it better myself, Steve that's great. Uh, and, and as as you are looking at what's transpired here over the last uh, few years uh, and, and you know you're in this new new role at, at aim uh, you're out talking to customers. Uh, you know, how are you seeing the, the evolution of omni-channel marketing uh, playing out? You know, what are, what are some of the changes that you're, you know, seeing today and, and things that you predict will be happening here in the future? Mm. It's it, the, the,
1: I think the, the biggest piece that, um, I think security is one of the, I would say one of the biggest items, um, you know, there was a time and, and, and it still occurs today where some, you know, somebody that you're working with says, I'm going to email you my client list, you know, an unsecured file just in an email, which was absolutely something we did 20 years ago. Right. And it's like, we'll just send these files back and forth and put them on an unsecured FTP site where you can pick them up and anyone else can too. Uh, but you know, security is bolted down. And I, and I believe it's also, um, it's posing to a bit of uh, an, an objection slash it's going to, it's going to cause some friction in adopting these technologies, which, which, you know, even recently there's been um, attacks against APIs, which were thought to be very secure for a while. Right. And like, I, uh, And we want this to be a positive thing in the school and talk about how to support it. But really what, what we're, what you want to be also saying is that systems that we're building, we're building with security in mind. Right. And so that you can kind of get over an organization's objections to like, So there isn't a marketing ecosystem of trusted players who are exchanging data to do things and you have to become serious about it. You know, it, We wouldn't have thought 20 years ago to get police checks for all of our employees. We wouldn't have thought to have like a special secure um, shredding system for a document or an envelope. But that's now considered important. And if a document has a name or address on it, whatever, it hits the shredder and it gets shredded before it leaves the building instead of. So I'll just say that's I would say that's the most significant Trend in in that's changed and shaped direct mail in the last five years. We've done a lot of work on that. Continue to do, and it's actually a huge investment. So so that investment continues, um, and probably won't change. It's not just firewalls, but it's practices and then compliance for things like HIPAA and SOC two, and things that you end up starting to consider depending on your clients. But on the the other kinds of things is the the and you mentioned it already is like the interplay of direct mail with other channels. And you know, I don't think that this is completely new in the sense that somebody would release, let's let's use the catalog as an example, but they'd release the fall catalog. And that would be accompanied by some TV and some radio and you know, I don't know, some trucks driving around with the word new catalog. Look for the new fall catalog, you know, and, and everyone would be excited because they also thought the fell catalog it would be supported by a number of channels but when digital marketing experts came on the scene let's call it 10 15 years ago or whatever and started having whole departments with budgets and stuff like that um that mar- that marketplace often in worked very independently you know they, they they had their own budgets and their own missions and they were and what was often seen is it was like I, we were they were removing like it was a, a some do they call it some zero? Like really what they won, they took away from other departments of marketing, right? So now fewer things were being mailed as catalogs and maybe fewer TV. And there wasn't as much newspaper advertising and digital was eating it and gobbling it all up. Um, I think now that digital has kind of gotten to its, let's call it, I, I'm going to call it like the zenith of, of, of pure digital play has maybe been reached because you know, it, it's, you're not getting... Much more return for the money you're pouring into it. For every dollar you put in, you don't necessarily get dollars out. You've reached a maximum. You know, that curve of performance is, is 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 smoothing out. I never really understood graphs in high school, but I totally understand it now where you're like, look at the graph and it flattens. It doesn't have that trajectory anymore. It's like, yeah, I can put more and more money in, but it doesn't perform, doesn't give me more revenue out. And I think that now digital is a channel like that. Um, this is a, a longer way of saying, it's now a necessity for them to play with the other channels together, right? Because it can't keep pouring more money into paid search, you know, SEO, um, you know, placing our ads digitally all over the place. It's not getting the return any longer. And it's just getting, the space is getting more crowded because more players. This is where that digital space is starting to look over their shoulder around and going, what else is on offering? And they're starting to play in the sandbox with the other channels again. I think that's, that's a big right. change. They're listening. They're saying, hey, you know, I should be in, should be knowing what other things are out there. Um, and we should be releasing them in waves and stuff that support each other rather than independently.
0: Excellent. Uh, Steve, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we've really uh, noticed in your career in at, at Prime and then carried over to AIM. Uh, is the work that you've done on uh, this notion of carbon neutral direct mail and um, you know I think it's it's exciting and uh, that you you've really been a pioneer in this notion that we can uh, you know use offsets to you know neutralize the impact of direct mail uh, so uh, tell us a bit more about you know how you arrived at this, and and the work you've done, and and how the whole program works. Well, thanks. Thank, thank. You know, it's it's something
1: I um, I'm kind of proud of, and I and I've also had a lot of fun working with because it uncovers some things I was really curious about. Um, you know, as a lifetime. Um, Member of the print community, having print advertising and book and magazine business, we've used a lot of wood and a lot of trees, and we've lived through uh, uh, concerns about recyclability of paper and then forestry standard council. uh, You know, where is the origin of the paper and how, what was the forestry practices? And in the last few years, when people have been more and more concerned about uh, greenhouse gas emissions, I had no idea like I I, we knew what to do with FSC and we knew recycled percentage paper could be 60 percent. But I had I was so curious. I, you could Google, uh, how, you know, how many emissions my car took if I, I drove to work. And um, but like the whole life cycle of printing and stuff, it it, it was a mystery and uh you know you and i both dennis love the outdoors right it, it, one of our favorite things is to stand on a river and uh, enjoy uh you know fly fishing on a river with, with wilderness around us and everything so there's you know it's a it's it it's a conflict to not know your impact on the environment when it's your whole business and career uh, and eventually i met a young man who was hired by municipalities He was university. A student who, who was hired by municipalities to do these carbon inventories, which was starting, you know, uh, as people started doing this as part of their carbon impact assessments, um, organizations were were realizing that part of their board's directive or the municipality's directive was to understand the environmental impacts so over uh, a dinner, a family dinner, this young guy explained to me how he did it for a town, and I said, "I think you can do that for my business." So I hired him on a contract to come and do a research project, and and we worked on what's called scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions, which is the scope one, scope two is like our plant, and scope one and one and uh, three are kind of like upstream and downstream of your facility. So. We uh, did a survey of everybody who commuted to work. We looked at our utility bills and what we cost to heat and uh, air condition our facility, and uh, whether or not there were chemicals coming in and out, and and you know things like VOCs, which we had gotten rid of all of our presses that emitted a lot of VOCs and that kind of. Thing. In the end, we were able to do an assessment of our building pretty quickly, and then we looked at the com- that what was coming into us, which is largely paper, really heavy products, and it turns out that. that some of the paper companies had done some heavy lifting for us already so if you inquire and, and use the most popular paper brands made in north america then many of them are already promoting that we've done the greenhouse gas study so if you buy a ton of paper x they'll tell you there's so many tons of emissions for this ton of paper so we knew how many tons of cre- you know paper we needed to create a million pieces of mail let's say and we knew how many millions of pieces of mail we were creating a year in our plant we typically using these couple of pieces, a couple of types of paper. Okay, well, then it was downstream, and and the post office it was a big mystery to us. And and uh, but it turns out, post offices around the world had been trying to get a grip of this. So Canada Post, as many as four years ago, had already started in their annual report doing an emissions uh, of, of CO2 report. So we were able to take that report divide it by the number of parcels and mail pieces, averaging the weight out for each of those things, having conversations with the post office about what do you think about our our methodology for this. They couldn't really disagree because nobody's really tried it before. And we had, after it was all put into a bowl, a report. And you can see that report by going to aim.com aiim.com and, or look up carbon neutral direct mail it's probably one of the things you'll find in google because there's not that many people talking about carbon neutral direct mail and that's the that's the basis of it we now knew that that a piece of mail would have x amount of carbon emitted based upon this methodology we're not saying it's the final story on it but up to that point nobody had any story and i guess it, you know i can i can let a couple a couple of interesting things here that, that might encourage you to do this research yourself or maybe in your own sector or whatever. But one of the things we found is that the emissions were actually 10, roughly 10 times the weight that, of the mailpiece. piece. So if you had a 20 gram mailpiece piece or a one ounce mailpiece, piece The amount of greenhouse gas emissions that were emitted from the tree to the the paper mill to delivering the paper to us, for us doing it in our shop, delivering it to Canada Post Post to get it to the home, was the emissions weighed 10 times the mail piece. Wow. 10 ounces, if it was a one-ounce mail piece. And and a ton of greenhouse gas emissions is roughly a giant balloon the size of up to the 10-yard line in a football field. It's 10 yards across, 10 yards high balloon. That's a ton. And it only takes 5,000 pieces of mail of a typical letter in an envelope to make a ton of that. So for every 5,000 pieces you do in a day, you are part of a life cycle of that balloon going up. Now, Canada Post is responsible or the Postal Service is responsible for some of it. We are for some of it and the trees and manufacturing. But, but we, we started saying, you know what, if, if our clients wanted, uh, we'll, just, we'll just buy this. And, and for a while, we just did it for everybody. And now we have an opt-in program. And uh, so you, if you want to offset this, you may have your own offset program. If you're a bank or a credit union, you may have some offset. But you can use offset credits that we have. There's a lot of controversy about offset credits right now. Understandably, uh, it, it's, it's a bit of an unregulated industry. Uh, we use um, some in Canada that are, are nature-based offset credits, and, and we understand the whole system's in a bit of flux. It's moving around, and the, but but we had to we had to feel we felt like we had to do something once we understood, and this was an opportunity for us to say, hey, you can't understand it, you can't do something about it, and it's you don't have to have your hand head in the sand. That's the story of it, and uh, it's a continuing saga. I don't know where it'll be in five years or ten years, but there are opportunities right now to understand something about the emissions of direct mail and to do something
0: about it. Well, that's tremendous. Uh, It it sounds like, as you said, that this is uh, still an evolving um, area that uh, is uh, growing in in importance and growing in everybody's consciousness as well. And and so uh, it's tremendous work that you've done. Uh, We thank you. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's really pioneering uh, in this space. So uh, thank you. It's been a great team, team effort here. And, you know, down in the USPS, they, they made
1: almost a historic decision in the last year. Um, I was speaking at Mailcom and I had an opportunity to talk to some of the people at USPS and congratulate them on the decision to buy electric vehicles instead of, instead of, you know, gas burning vehicles, because those vehicles last 10 or 20, 30 years, sometimes uh, delivering mail. And there's there's one thing i learned about this project is if if you're moving heavy things long distances you're emitting uh you know co2 carbon uh, carbon emissions come from that current, in the current world and every time you can change to an electric vehicle that is being powered not by coal but from solar or renewable sustainable resource rather than a carbon based one you are taking carbon out of that system of delivering heavy things long distances and and as long as those vehicles that the USPS is are using are ch- recharged by solar, wind, you know, uh, hydro, nuclear, something that isn't carbon. You, you're a net benefit for every piece of that heavy mail that gets delivered, and uh, that will continue for anybody who's replacing carbon-burning vehicles. Heavy things moving long distances—that's the number one contributing factor next to your keeping your house warm and cold.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, I, I had the opportunity to check out these new vehicles at the National Postal Forum uh, in May, down in uh, Charlotte. Uh, they're tremendous. Uh, it, it, they're a tremendous advance, both for the postal delivery worker, uh, ergonomically and uh, structurally. they are big, big upgrades on what exists today. And then, uh, to your point, the ability to take these trucks out during the day, bring them back to a lot. Charge them, uh, and and have them ready to go in the morning is so important. I was talking to some of the folks, and they were saying some of the biggest challenges is actually getting the right charging infrastructure to some of these older facilities. Um, you know, because you can imagine that's a lot of electricity if you've got thirty or forty trucks going out, right? You've got to have a tremendous um, amount of infrastructure in place in order to support that, and so it is a bit of an evolution, but they're they're certainly on the right path. And uh, the other uh, major reorganization of the USPS uh, warehousing and uh, distribution facility uh, work that is now started uh, will cut down on the number of truck miles uh, per letter significantly as well. So, so there's a lot of movement uh, in in the right direction there at the USPS and at Canada Post and. Uh, so thank you for taking a leadership role on this and, and you're really helping the industry uh, gain a better understanding of, you know, the impact and, and, and what can be done. So, uh, good yeah,
1: I, I appreciate the the shout out. And, you know, there's a there is an organization called the Sustainable Mail Group. For Canadian listeners, um, it's a non that was started by paper companies, printers, organizations like ourselves about a year and a half ago. Um, it's, it's associated to the National Association of Major Mail Users and this group is dedicated to having kind of quarterly webinars and the like where you'll be able to learn more about this and there's also organizations in there who are trying to share best practices and the most current information because it's an evolving brand new brand new sector. So look up the sustainable mail group. If you're wanting to join their LinkedIn group or just follow them or actually join the organization itself.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm going to join that group as well. So, uh, tremendous, um, well, uh, Steve, it's been great having you on today. uh, uh always interesting and fascinating conversations we have, uh, excited to uh, continue to build our partnership. Uh, with Postalytics up in Canada with, with you and with, with AIM. And uh, uh, as a last bit, uh, tell, tell our listeners how to get in touch with you to talk about what's going on with, with AIM and, and carbon neutral direct mail or any of the other things that we discussed today.
1: Well, you can reach out, hopefully maybe at the bottom of the
0: video, put sfalk at
1: aim.com. That's S F A L K at A I I M.com. Just look up our website, aim.com. You'll hit the contact us. You might even hit the
0: chat bot and it'll go to my phone and I can chat with you at aim.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Steve Falk, the AIM Group, thank you again so much. It's been great having you on. Uh, thank you everybody to, uh, for today's episode of Direct Mail Automation School. We'll look forward to speaking again very soon. Thanks, Dennis.
1: Thanks you for your interest and curiosity and support. Cheers. Have a good day.